Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, and thank you for being in Soul Talk. And uh, today we have a very special invite. Her name is Missy Sue. And, uh, and she is, uh, well, let me just tell you a little bit who she is. Mm-hmm. She helps for the process of, of releasing the identity and, and blocks of the, and the full potential of the human beings. Her passion is to range from addiction, recovery, and uh, diversity, trauma, PTSD, healing, and the soul aspects of integration. And I wanted to ask you about that because that is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I have clients, I have family that they've been addicted to something. I am addicted to cigarettes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and coffee. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yes, but the coffee, well, the coffee, I don't consider it bad, but the cigarettes, it do. But mm-hmm. that's not as bad as other kinds of addictions when we're talking about drugs and when we're talking about uh, alcoholism or things like that, that they can be very destroying for the human beings in so many ways and so many levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm so glad that we have you here in the planet. I'm so glad that you're doing this this work that I know is not easy for anyone that have experienced it. I know it was, it, my dad was alcoholic and, uh, and it is not easy. And I've been alcoholic twice, actually, too. Mm-hmm. And it was not easy. It was a matter of this choice. And it was a matter of decision in that time when I was uh, also a, alcoholic, I had a bar. So it was so easy to get a hold on it and so easy to get a grab on myself. And, uh, and, but I'm so glad that actually, I work in different areas, but that's not my speciality. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Missy? Yeah. So my work is ever developing and ever ever unfolding. Um, I don't think I'll ever get to this place where I feel confident in saying, this is what I do, and it fits nicely in a box for me because I'm always, always changing and evolving and striving for more. And, you know, I go through cycles. I'm really feminine in my energy, as masculine as I am. I'm also really feminine. I go through cycles and, and in those cycles, I, I have to let go and make space for more and more understanding comes in and more downloads come through. But where, where I am today and that will probably be different tomorrow, is shedding the identity all the way through of who I think I am and all of the identities that I've taken on from, you know, being a homeless person, being homeless, I am homeless, or being an addict, I am an addict, or I am an alcoholic, you know, I am a victim, I am a warrior. I am a survivor. All of these things that I've put after the words I am Mm -hmm. actually are an identity that keep me trapped in a box. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just one little aspect of my being that I compartmentalize and keep myself from really coming into the wholeness of who I am. And to me, what that means is what it's, what I've awakened to over these last probably three and a half or four years, I'm pretty new actually, in all honesty, to spirituality and to, you know, my spiritual awakening happened relatively a short time ago, you know, three or four years ago. Um, And I'm still, I wouldn't even call myself awake today. I wouldn't because there's so much I don't know. There's so much I don't know. But what I understand is that there's many aspects of myself across time and space in this moment, all happening on different timelines, right at the same time. And for me to identify or to put myself in a little box in this lifetime actually keeps me from accessing the information across time and space. And it keeps me limited in my ability to access and to discover my true potential because I label myself and I diagnose myself. And I think it's important to say that to diagnose oneself or to label oneself is actually a process of coming out of trauma. And so it's really, really important part of the healing process. But there's a part of that journey too, where you actually have to let go of all of that and the identity around all of that any of it. I am gay. I am transgender. I am broken. I am strong. I am any of these things, you know, and you just like, let it go and let yourself just authentically be who you are. Who you really are. Totally resonate with you. Uh, the morning, in fact, I was talking with my daughter about that because she was telling me, Oh, this is HDDs, this and, and OCDs, this. And, yeah. and, and it's like, and I told her exactly something like what you were saying. I told her why you're putting labels. In the moment you're putting a label, you're actually one. The doctors love to give labels. Why? Because they're, they're selling a, just the medication. And they're trying to put you in a label. So like that, you feed on that. And you don't feed. They're trying to make you feed on that so they can give you the medicine and they can increase the medicine. Or else it's not business for them. And the society, so they can understand you, they want to put you in this label. And you can get out of that label. So it's like, why you're trying to fit in a label? It doesn't matter as a doctor, it doesn't matter as a society. Because you limit yourself of who you truly are. And yeah. that yeah. is very limiting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would like to talk more about the labels of the society they put on, on the labels. That mm-hmm. also, that's always been my way of observing this. I'm not going to say that I am right, that I, I know Alcoholicos Anonymous, AARP. Oh, yeah. I know the 12 spe- steps are very important because one, you would say, okay, I have a problem. I have drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever it is. But that put you where you were saying in the I am. And the people that started with that, they can never get rid of it. I know people that they were alcoholics uh, and they went to Alcoholicos Anonymous Mm -hmm. and they never could uh, drink one drop of alcohol or else they went back. Yep. Because of that label. Well, it's, it's really interesting. And what you were saying about your daughter, 
about how she's like, oh, you know, let's just say, for example, somebody says, oh, like, you know, OCD is this, it's a label. Like that can be really helpful for someone at first. And for me, like with Alcoholics Anonymous and and alcoholism or being an alcoholic is a self-diagnosis. Nobody can tell you that you're an alcoholic. It's a self-diagnosis in the eyes of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the first step is I am powerless over alcohol, you know, or drugs, basically. Yeah. And that's really, really helpful at first because, you know, they say that it's an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. It's a disease. Mm-hmm. So if you look at alcoholism and drug addiction, it is a disease in the medical standard of disease. It's a progressive illness that will be fatal without intervention or, or, or you know, treatment. And so for somebody like myself who is struggling <laughs> you know, not to die or go to jail, you know, every, every month or who is literally dying on the streets, this can be really helpful because I couldn't figure it out. I could not figure it out. My best thinking could not figure out how to awaken out of that. So the 12 steps in AA had this beautiful part in my journey because it said, here's a box, (laughs) you're an addict. You were born with this. It's in your genes. It's a, it's a, you know, you're powerless over this. You have a disease that's, you know, hereditary. And I went click, click, click. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I have something to work with now. Now I have something to work with. I have some steps to follow. I have something concrete that I can actually do. And it helped me so much pulling me out of that victim 3d state of addiction into a fourth dimensional consciousness of stability around empowering God. But in the in your case, you choose to take that label out after you ask the 12 steps and so and forth. That's a very awkward transition for anybody to actually say, wait a minute, this has taken me as far as I can go. Now I actually have to pull all of my power back from that and into myself and pull my power back from God into myself. That's so awkward. That's so awkward, especially with the programming of, you know, the tw- of the 12 steps that say you, your best thinking will kill you. You, you can't trust yourself, you know, and all of this. So long story short, it was the most awkward transition possibly of my life. And what it did was it, it, it had me isolate myself completely from the recovery community where I live. And I was like, I just outed myself from the tribe. And I basically, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I threw the entire recovery community away from me and said, you guys, trust me, you're not going to like what I have. I can't do this anymore. And now releasing the label, coming into a more holistic healing approach, a more spiritual approach around addiction recovery I'm I'm like immersing myself back into the culture and really holding my own with non-acceptance, non-total acceptance and non-judgment around the people who are there saying, you know, if I drink one drop, I'll end up with a needle in my arm. The people who are programmed, literally programmed into thinking, 
you know, they're an addict for life and that's it. And I listen to them talk and I don't say anything. I'm not out there trying to convince anybody. That's really the medicine. I'm just a silent example of another choice without saying a word. And if you ask me, that opens a conversation, you know? Yes, I I do agree with that one too. Because yes, it it is a lot of people where, well, I am a rebel, always being. (laughs) (laughs) I am a rebel. You tell me, oh, you are this or you're that. Maybe that's why I'm a smoker, because everybody like, why are you smoking? Mm -hmm. That's why you tell them it's because I enjoy it. I enjoy it so much. And and they don't comprehend that. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I smoke. Because of rebels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, it can cause harm, but it doesn't cause harm in, in that in the same way as, as alcoholism or, or drug addiction. And uh, I remember when I used to drink uh, every day and there was a need for that of every day. I did uh, a lot of harm to my kids in that time, my older kids yeah. in that time until I realized it. But I never went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. I what I, I I got scared. It's like, oh my God, I have a need of alcohol. And, and I finished a bottle of brandy by myself and and I was fine. And that's mm-hmm. when I got scared. And uh and I your punished, tolerance was high. Yes, your tolerance I, was really high, yeah. Yeah, and I punished myself in a but I'm very drastic how I heal myself in so many ways. That I don't recommend to anyone how they I do it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and now I don't, and that's why I say twice, and they were not together; they were ten years apart. Mm-hmm. And then the second time it happened, the same thing, and I did the same thing. How you can help someone to understand that they they have a problem? I receive this question all the time with my clients that tell me. Oh, can you help my help my son or my husband because they're alcoholics? Like I can, they have to ask for themselves. Mm-hmm. But how? But there is always that feeling of everybody trying to help someone because mm-hmm. there's obviously there's always a judgment towards them. Yeah, and uh, and and there at the same time, how do you can deal with that? At the same time, you're the mother or you're the sibling, or you're the spouse, or you're whatever mm. of them, how you can help them and without having the judgment that you are being affected by it, and you can help them. Now, I'm not talking about the the person that is not the alcoholic. I'm talking about how you can help the person that is in, in yeah. that kind of conscience. Yeah, I I come from a family... I'm one of six kids and the five of us, five of us out of six children have struggled with alcoholism or drug addiction. And so I come from a family where it's really normalized to be in addiction, you know, be in and out of jail, be homeless. This is really normal where I'm, where I come from, where I was raised. And I have siblings who are still in homelessness, who are still deep in addiction in and out of prison. And what I've learned in kind of a long roundabout way is the way to really help people. And I also do homeless outreach. I think that's important to say too. I do homeless outreach for, for a job, for, for my day job. And the same approach that I would, that I would spend with anybody who I don't know, like 
you know, intimately or personally is the same approach I would, I would have with my siblings. It's the same thing. And that is, I don't know where they are in their journey. I don't know. And I don't know, honestly, what their soul agreed to, to come into this life and to experience. Yeah. And it's my, it's my understanding that a lot of really amazing beings, truly, came in very courageously with contracts and agreements to experience some pretty, what we as humans would see as horrendous things and very painful long, you know, sex abuse, you know, sex trafficking, drug addiction, you know, suicide, you know, all these kind of things like mental illness. And so when I look at it through my human eyes, there could be an aspect of me that wants to save them because of my judgment through my lens saying it's not okay where they are. Or I could, I could see from the eyes of a mother, I can be really empathetic around that saying, Oh my gosh, my child, you know, this makes me a bad mother. What can I do? I need to save them. I need to fix this. And you know, it's it's just really interesting because if we zoom out far enough, it's all actually in divine orchestration and perfection. So, and you know, what I found is that holding space for people with non-judgment and acceptance is actually the best medicine. Meeting people where they are and allow, creating safe space for them to trust you and to come to you when and if they are ready to make changes, but not needing them to, to be okay. And that's like the whole entire energy that I bring when I do needle exchange, you know, and I say, bring your, you know, bring your dirty needles. We're going to come, I'll do outreach and say, bring your dirty needles. We'll give you clean needles. Do you need HIV testing? Do you need hepatitis C testing? What can we do to support you so that you have clean utensils when you use drugs? I'm not out there saying, don't use drugs. It's not okay. You shouldn't be doing this. This is bad and wrong. Instead, I'm saying, okay, you're doing this. I can understand that you're an addiction or maybe you're not. Maybe you're, you know, using this in a way that's functional for you. I don't know. But what I do know is that I would love to support you to do this in a way that's the healthiest and safest for everybody. It's that approach that allows for change to happen when and if they decide to have it happen. They'll come to you first. I, I totally understand that. I, one of my one of my older kids is um, about the it might be alcoholic or not. I can't. I don't want to label him. Totally. But uh, but at the same time, it's like okay, I can't abort, I can't tell you what to do or not to do. You're adult enough. Yeah. <clears throat> it's your choice. Just don't do it around me, because I don't like to be put in, into the situation dealing with someone that is. Not in the right mind. That's true. Put it like that. But it's, it is it is heartbreaking at the same time. But hey, at the same I do understand that about contracts. Mm-hmm. And yes, we all have different works and different things that we sign up for. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing we can do about it because we all have to our experience our own contract. And what do we have to learn from it? Yeah. And it might get to the point that they will say, Oh, I'm done with this contract. Or they can continue with that contract to the end. We that's the choice of each person. And that's a tough one. 
when you you love the person that is following that path or whatever path they choose it's a matter of choice you know i love i love what you call your podcast you call that warrior of love right warrior of love my my guides a while back uh called me when i was not believing enough in myself they t- they gave me the name warrior of love mm-hmm. and i told them what do i do with this and they well you have to use it own it embody mm-hmm. it and so forth and like and in the beginning i was not even trying to show my face because i was too embarrassed yeah because i felt too little yeah and uh and then with time we started embodying it and so forth and that's when i started using my face my my podcast i call it soul talk because it's basically this conversation uh soul to soul yeah with amazing people and uh, but my name i i carry it with uh worry of love mm-hmm. because that's the name that uh that i still they tell me when you completely you don't need it you can stop using it yeah but i i still use it <laughs> maybe that's, i still need it it's perfect because that's that's such a perfect segue into what I want to share next and that you know I I had a I had a pretty rough experience there for a while um with a relapse that I had and when I came back out of that relapse I um needed to do things completely different I knew I knew I had to do things like I had never done them before so this is where I really began to do self work and inner work different than just the 12 steps of AA, which was the first inner work I'd ever done, which was really transforming for my life, truly. But I needed to take it in a different way, a different realm. My soul demanded it. It's like, you can't stay there. You can't do this anymore. And I went to, I started going to like healing workshops, um, different modalities, exploring spirituality for the first time. And I went to this um, this workshop that was pretty high powered, like vibrationally charged. It was really amazing, the container. And in it, we were doing eye gazing with each other, you know, during different segments of it mm-hmm. and with music playing. It was like pretty magical. And that was the first time that I had kind of like an out-of-body experience or I was accessing different lives through ideas. <coughs> and the, the past life that came through was me as a warrior. And just, you know, in my glory, you know, and going into the darkness and pulling out souls from the darkness, just like tons and tons of them at a time like really victorious in my glory kind of a situation. And at the time when I was really like, what, three months sober, feeling super disempowered, feeling like nothing I did mattered, you know, like I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. That was really healing and helpful to me because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, a part of my soul remembers this. This is an aspect of me. Maybe I do have what it takes. Maybe I am a badass, you know? And then I made the mistake I think a lot of people could easily make in that situation where I started to identify as the warrior, you know? And then I became Missy the warrior. I am the warrior. I am a warrior, you know? And I played a lot of those games, 
and probably ended up fighting a lot longer than I needed to <laughs> in a lot of different situations because I kept engaging in the battle, you know, and I still do that. Actually, I still do that today, still working on that. But then there's this whole process of releasing the identity of the warrior too. But at one time that was so helpful for me because it was like, Oh my gosh, you know what I mean? So there's, there's different identities. There's different labels that along the journey are so helpful from bringing you from, you know, this place to the next place, but it just can't take you further. You know, you have to actually let it go to go up to the next level. So it's this process of like allowing and and believing and, and, you know, accepting and then releasing over and over and over again. Yes, yeah. I, one of my favorite places to go in meditation is to the void. Because that's when you take all the identities. The mm. Female or this or this culture or that or with all your limiting beliefs or your alter egos or whatever. Mm. In the moment we release that, it's, that's why it's my favorite place to go. And what do you use? Do you use meditations or do you use to to release all those identities? Hmm. I just live life. I, I mean, I do, I'm actually in MTBO coursework. You know, I do, I'm a student of um, different, different courses that I'm currently in right now. But, you know, I don't like use a modality, really. It's just like living my life. And going through cycles of shedding things and, and releasing and allowing things to go and falling down and failing, falling short, getting back up, trying again, falling short again, getting back. It's like I just live my life. Yes. We're still having the human experience. So we're going to fall down as many times as we need to get up. Yep. And, uh, when it's going to end, we'll continue expanding. The same universe continues expanding. And the knowledge, we don't, no one knows it all. And there is no magic one. <laughs> so, so when I even removed the word healer, because mm-hmm. it was yeah. taking, it's an I was, identity. Yeah. Yes, you take the power of the people, like, oh, you're coming to the healers because oh, you're yeah. powerless. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. no, that's, that's something that people need to empower themselves. Yeah, we can coach them. We can help them. We can whatever. But but healing, that's when they is they lose the, their own power, and that's no human being should do that. But the ego is very powerful and brings us back. Yeah. How do you how do you work with people? Mm. I work with people in different capacities. Um, for my for what I do for a career in my day job, I work like I go into detox centers. I work with the homeless population, the unsheltered homeless population, and I offer like support groups around addiction recovery and just a different way of kind of holding space for that. Um, one of my favorite things to do, if I'm completely honest, is to work with like a group of guys who you know, have recently been incarcerated or in prison or are brand new sober or just off the streets and just like slowly build trust and rapport with them and teach them how to be vulnerable. And that takes time. 
Yeah. It takes time, but there's so much magic in that. There's so much magic in that. Um, and it can be really, really healing for myself included. Yes. And then with what I do in my private practice and my own business is one of my favorite ways to access information is through tarot cards. I got a, a pack of tarot cards for Christmas in 2018. And again, I was like six months sober, just barely sober. And I got a pack of tarot cards and I opened them up and I just started like playing with them a little bit. And I just started unlocking and I'm like, I know exactly how to do this. And of course, like my skills have developed over the last three or four years, but I almost instantly knew how to do it. And um, it's not that I'm just rehashing the meaning of the cards. I'm like capturing the essence of what's in the field, which is really fascinating because when I first started reading tarot, I was like kind of self-conscious or not really confident in my ability. <laughs> and I was like, what if I'm not shuffling enough times? What if I'm not listening to spirit enough and I shuffle one too many times and I don't get the right spread? And spirit's like, it doesn't even matter what cards you pull. You're accessing a field of energy and that information will come through however it needs to, no matter what cards you pull. So no worries. Don't worry about it. And just over time, with my like remote viewing ability, the more I clear, the more I heal within myself, the more easily I can access information clearly and, you know, with ease. Um, so I love doing tarot card readings for people, but what I really love to do beyond that is to hold containers for people to hold space for them to really go through a transformation of healing themselves and giving them the tools yeah. and the, the structure really, and the support for them to go through and to do their own healing work. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. I've worked with several people around all kinds of addictions. Um, everything from, you know, hard drugs to cigarettes, to coffee, to sex, to porn, and what I've an eating disorder, even, which is actually a mental illness. When I looked into the energetics of it, it's a mental illness. The entity is the exact same as any other mental illness. And when I look into the energetics of these things, as different as they, as they may seem from a shopping addiction to a cocaine addiction, right? Seems pretty different, but the energetics are actually really similar. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, Avoid within oneself, looking for something outside of yourself to fill that, that hole within you. It's a desperation for love or acceptance or fulfillment that you're not able to self-source just yet. And just the process of learning how to bring that in and, and allow that to come to life. Yeah. It just occurred to me, I was, when you were saying that I, mm. I have a daughter that she's in high school. Mm-hmm. And I see many of her friends having this problem of eating disorders. Yeah, totally. And uh, and I remember when I was going to high school, there was not too many. I, I, I don't even remember even mentioning eating disorder in that time. But I guess mm -hmm. I was raised in Mexico. So oh. it was, we label less things. Let's put it like that. That the United States, they love to label everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and I don't remember no one talking about that. The one is because it was a different country, or because I was I'm fifty two, so it was or it is the times have changed. Hmm. I don't know. It's a different country, or the times have changed, and there are more disorders now than they used to, or it was just because there are different countries. Or maybe the culture is different, and people weren't as open about them as they are now. I'm not saying I haven't been in high school for a long, long time, obviously. So I don't know if right now, probably, if I talk with a group of uh, high schoolers in Mexico, they might be talking about the same thing as right now in the United States. People aren't that different. I found, you know, you I, know. I, what I'm saying is like, I, yeah, 52. You know, I don't know. If uh, what is going on with the high schoolers in Mexico, you just know what is going on with the high schoolers in the United States because my daughter is there. Yeah. But it is very sad to see so many teenagers, so many teenagers with different kind of problems of that, of self-acceptance and self-love. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be a teenager. Not think anybody doesn't have an awkward moment there. And it's that, you know, looking for something outside of yourself to feel that that hole is something I think all teenagers go through, no matter how centered or well-rounded or, or well your upbringing was, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I had, my mother had anorexia and bulimia my whole childhood. And, it, you know, it's pretty normal. It's pretty normalized. Um, I think... You know, eating disorders are, the energetics of an eating disorder are very similar to any other addiction. Yeah. And the entity that's feeding on that compulsion, the wiring of the brain, and the body dysmorphia, and the obsession of the mind, it's all the same energy. It's all the same. It's actually very similar to a heroin addiction, a meth addiction. It's all pretty similar. Yes, I have seen that. I have seen the, the kind of, a, there is an entity feeding from, or sometimes many of different kinds of entities and one person mm-hmm. feeding them with thoughts and feeding them and eating obviously from, from them. And uh, and it's obviously not, a, you can't talk with this so um Many people, I have so many clients that they know I just come for NLP, do not talk to any anything spiritual. spiritual. It's like, oh. are you seeing like Christmas tree? And it's like, oh my <laughs> God. It's like, okay, sit up. That's not what they want. The rest is sit up, Monica. When they're ready, they may ask. Mm-hmm. And just focus in one area and, and try not to. To remove all the Christmas tree lights that, they are, that I can see. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind when people don't want to go there spiritually because it helps me, you know, because it was a way that I operate on my day to day life. I'm not out there like super woo woo all out there. I just operate like, you know, one foot in front of the other, really grounded. You wouldn't even know by looking at me outside doing my job during the day that I have the belief systems that I do or that I'm able to access what I can or see what I do. I'm not broadcasting that. But if somebody comes to me for a one-on-one session, I'm going to, you know, 
open space for that level of conversation and then kind of meet them where they are. And if they don't want to have a conversation around entity, that's totally fine. I can just use a different language. It just means that they're more matter based and they don't really want to hear the woo woo spiritual stuff, which is fine. You can just say it differently and it means that's, the same thing. That's what I, I that's where I use the NLP. That's a different language completely. I, so no bring the, the spirituality because or else they close themselves. And if they close themselves, it's not gonna help them out. Really it's not gonna help anybody. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I saw also that you help people with PTSD. It's mm. another one. And that's a tough one too. Uh, yeah. How do well, you work with that? First of all, I have to help myself with PTSD. Yeah. I, I go through PTSD. I, I, you know, I go through that kind of trigger. It's it's not uncommon for me to go through that, and so just the skills that I've learned through walking walking through that own kind of trigger myself, if it be just in the line of work that I do, you know, I'll, I'll run into someone or I'll work with someone who's like in a complete psychosis and screaming and ranting and raving and feeling like people are going to kill them. And the thing about that is that I've been in that space before when I was detoxing from drugs, um, where I was accessing different realities and I wasn't able to stabilize this reality because I was pulling in information from different timelines all at the same time. And that's what a psychosis is. Yeah. They are pulling in information from a vast spectrum of reality and they're not anchoring it into this reality. And so what they're experiencing is real to them. They are actually experiencing it on a physiological, spiritual, emotional, mental you know, plain. And so what's fascinating about that is I actually carry the memory of those experiences in the cells of my body. That trauma is stored in my body. That trauma is stored, you know, in my memory and it's stored in my body. And so then becomes this whole other modality of really healing trauma on different planes of reality and integrating it. And I'm th the only reason I even know anything about this is because of my own healing journey of necessity of working through this. And I still work through um, re-traumatizing myself and, uh, and learning how to heal that and to integrate that and to let it go through different timelines and different realities. And accessing information from so many different places that you can't stabilize in this life is is really what why most people end up in the psych ward. A lot of a lot of really sensitive, highly spiritual, attuned people end up in the psych ward when they're having their spiritual awakening because it's just so much for them that they can't stabilize and ground the information. Yes, I I, I can see. I always have to say that actually, that many of the people there are in the psych ward, they're not crazy. They're just, a lot of them, they're channelers or they're, and, and unfortunately for the system, in the moment you tell them, oh, I'm hearing these guides or these people telling me this or this being or being of light or whatever, 
mm-hmm. give me this message. If they're going to put him in medication, it's going to be in the psych ward. Oh, yeah. So many people that are in the psych wards, they're not even crazy. Well, for our standards, not for the standards of the doctors. Of course, so the medical industry is a, it's a great business, like religion. Yeah. Well, the, the, the scary thing is, is a lot of times, like with myself, I was also using drugs mm-hmm. to access those gifts. And I thought that was just the way you did it. I, from the age of 14 years old, I'm like, yes, you use, you know, LSD and mushrooms and, and ecstasy to access spiritual gifts. That's how it's done. I thought that that's what you did. And so I was using drugs for 20 years to access information until I got to a place in my soul and in my agreements where it, I, I needed to be pushed out of that and into a new way of being. And I had something of an alarm clock awakening where I got my butt kicked by reality and shaken so hard and really, you know, I died. And in that it was like, do you want to be here or not? Because you need to do things differently. You can't keep doing this the way that you're doing this. This has to be different. It got so bad for me that it was like, I'll do anything to change. I'll do whatever it takes and that's why rock bottom is so important, like to, to not interrupt someone's process, but to just love them. I know it's so hard because it's like watching a train come slowly, you know, towards your loved one. And you're just like, oh, my God, you know, like, I want to save you. Wake up. Can you not see what's happening? And you can do anything just to allow for that train to hit them sometimes, because for me, that rock bottom was it ignited in me this willingness to change that I could have not accessed in any other way. Nobody could have given it to me. Anybody who tried to help me in that time before I had gotten to that space, I just took advantage of, and not because I'm a bad person, but because that's where I was. Yes. And I was far in addiction, you know? There's a saying in Mexico, probably it's over here too, that, uh, when you're trying to save um, a person that is drowning, it will mm-hmm. pull you down. And that doesn't make them a bad person, the person who's drowning. Like, I don't want to vilify or, you know, I think it's really important that we take the stigma away from, you know, people who are in addiction or quote unquote drug addicts. Like, you know, I remember my mom posted this thing once when I was like really deep in my addiction. And she posted this thing on her wall on, on Facebook. And I love my mother. I'm not vilifying her for at all for this, but it said something like, if a drug addict is unhappy with you, then you're doing something right. And if a drug addict is, you know, happy with you, it means you're enabling them. Something like this. That was the energy of it. And mind you, she has lots of children who are deep in addiction and have, you know, all kinds of issues. And so that made sense for her. Like, I'm just going to say no, not help them, you know, keep my distance. And that's what she needed to do to protect herself. I get it. But I remember just being looking at that and going, man, all I need is love right now. All I need is love right now. Yes. And it's just like, no, you're bad and you're wrong because you're a drug addict. That's how I took it, you know? And so now when I see people on the streets who are, you know, needle IV using heroin or meth or whatever, and I'm just like, hey, like, it's okay. Like, you know, 
I can see you. And I really look and I really look for the soul and for the spirit in these people. And I connect, you know, I connect with them just like I'm connecting with, you know, I'm not treating you any different than I do them the same exact way, you know, and it's like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to give you resources. It's not my job to save you. It's not my job that you take these resources or do anything with them. But here's my number. And if you are ever in a place where you are ready for help, I would love to support you. And that's my job. My job isn't to save people. That is an awesome job. Yeah. (laughs) That is an awesome job. Yes, it is. It's just holding the space. Yeah, that's, that's the the problem of the people. Is even we go to something so simple when someone give you an advice. It doesn't matter if you're in drug addiction or not. Any kind of advice, yeah. they assume that you're gonna do it because they give you the advice. Mm-hmm. They forget that it's just an advice. You can take it or you can throw it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You just throwing the idea there, and people are so used to to thinking that that's an order. When it's just an advice. Or they take it personally when they don't take the advice. I'll give you an example. When I was when I was homeless, um, I was in and out of jail a lot of times in this one period of my life. And I had this amazing teacher in high school who was a law enforcement teacher. He taught law enforcement and he happened to be a police officer. And I was just a teenager and I went to his class and I ended up being his te- his teacher's aide because I wanted to take his class again. Very, very amazing, very sincere, empathetic, beautiful human being who happens to be a police officer as well. And he's also a friend of my family's as well. So when I was deep in addiction, he was like, let me help you. Let me help you. You can come and stay at my, at my house. I have like two sides of the house. You can have a room on this side. I'll stay over on this side. You know, we can help get you into treatment. You can, you know, get clean. Like, obviously, hello, (laughs) you know, in his mind, why wouldn't I take that up? Why wouldn't I do that? You know, and I wanted to get clean. I wanted to get off the streets. I wanted to stop going to jail. But the thing is, is I didn't have the tools on how to stop the compulsion of my mind. And to stop the the deep addiction that was embedded in my cells, the entities that were feeding on me around meth and heroin. I was even addicted to marijuana too, you know, which I which which is all probably a whole other conversation because I think marijuana can be super helpful for some people along their journey, you know. Um, but again, it can only take you so far, and then you have to kind of let that go too. But in that process of him trying to help me, I was like smoking meth in his house. I was smoking marijuana in his house. I was like bringing, you know, just being super inappropriate and disrespectful to this amazing human and jeopardizing him as a police officer, putting him in a really bad position. Is that because I'm a bad person? Is that because I didn't love him? No, it's because even though I wanted to change I didn't know how. But at the same time, I bet he knew that you are, you're working with someone that has an addiction. It doesn't matter which which kind of addiction. They're going to fail. 
that's okay. normal as many times as they need it that's normal mm -hmm. and if you're offering that help you already know what you're going to go through with them well, you decide if you want to take it to your house or you want to put it somewhere and help them out from far away but be there but but they're going to fail as many many times until finally they choose different but they have to choose it you can choose it for them it's like an advice you can take it or throw it this is this is where AA come becomes really really handy for some people because what you just said to me makes sense to you and i can see that it makes sense to you but to someone who's deep in addiction what they'll hear what their their addicted mind their sick mind will tell them that you said was that there's room to relapse it's okay to keep using that's the trickiest part like you're dealing with a sick person it's a mental illness it really is. Drug addiction is a mental illness. So the cool thing about AA is it's so structured and there's no bullshit. They don't take any bull crap. You can't change that program for anything. They're like, these are the rules. You stay in the, per like in, you know, the rules you stay in, in the box. And that's why it works because people are like, Oh, no wiggle room. I mean, you can relapse and come back into the rooms. People do it all the time. But if you actually begin working the program, it deprograms your mind, like literally, biologically, the neural pathways of your mind, it, de it realigns them from drug addiction, where your brain's just wired to drug addiction, and it rewires it to the program of AA, which is so helpful. Can you, not, can you see how helpful that is? at one point and then you actually have to like pull your power back from all of that and release it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that as a, maybe I was saying it as a point of view as a mother. I know. As, as a point and of view as a mother, you're like, oh my God, I know you're going to fail again. I know, and like, I know I'm going to, if I'm going to fail, like, I know you're going to fail, but I'm here again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and again, know. but totally. even, but it, it can get tired, and you're right. In the, in the moment you say you have the wiggle space to fail, you will fail. Oh, yeah. I heard that in, when I was in addiction, and I was like, oh, yeah, perfect. Just a little room. And then, and then my mind said, maybe it'll work this time. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. Because I used drugs for so long, and it was so much fun. And I had a blast for so many years that I was like, maybe this time it will go back to how it used to be. It's almost like an abusive relationship, honestly. You know, I've, I watch people who are in an abusive relationship and I'm like, what? Especially in the beginning, I'm like, what is this? Why would you go back to this guy? He just beat the crap out of you. He treats you like crap. He controls you. Why would you go back to him? Why? And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's not unlike me with drugs, is it? Because drugs beat the crap out of me so many times. I ended up in the hospital so many times. And I kept going back thinking it would be different this time. So it's, it's an abusive relationship with yourself. It's very interesting. I was a better woman. And I totally understand the, the better woman syndrome or men syndrome. Because it happened to both sexes. Oh, yeah. But, um, but it is the fear. The fear that they're going to kill you, the fear they're, they're going to be too more, the, be, the fear they're going to abuse someone that you love and so forth. 
Then you consider drug, uh, drug addiction or alcoholism that is fear too, fear based. Because that's why you stay with the guy. It took me five years to get out of mine <laughs> until he's like, okay, kill me. And he didn't kill me. <laughs> but, uh, but then you consider drugs and alcoholism or any kind of addiction the same as fear as a, a battered woman syndrome? Well, I think I, I, I have never been in a battered, I've never been a battered woman in a relationship like that. It's just not something that I came to this earth to experience. I do have people that are really close to me, like in my family who, who are experiencing this and have experienced this. And it's really hard to watch because I'm like, what are you doing? Like, how is this even possible? But the thing is, is that when I actually took the energetics of that, I was baffled. Why would you go back? I can't even believe this. When I actually stepped back far enough and just looked at the energy, I took all of my, my feelings, all of my judgment out of it. And I just looked at the energetics spirit said, wow, isn't that interesting? It's just like you. It's the same thing. It's so fascinating how so many things are actually just so similar. They are similar, but that was, uh, I don't know. That's why it was a question that you, you were in fear when you were doing the drugs and alcohol. So this is my understanding of battered woman syndrome. I think that some people are so afraid of, of being killed that they'll stay in the relationship. But I'm not sure that everybody experiences that exactly in the battered woman syndrome. I think that some are just so... Um, the first thing is what hap- when that happens is you don't feel worthy. Because they're, yeah, exactly. they're, drilling, they're drilling you that all the time, that you're not worthy, that you deserve yeah. getting beaten, that it was your fault, that it was going to be. And they're drilling you all that. Oh, yeah. So when that happened, like, okay, it, it's not only that he's going to kill you or not, it's okay, maybe I deserve it. That's what I was getting at. You know, if he kills you or not, I'm not sure that I've seen my personal family member feel like they were going to die. I think it it feels more like it's like an addiction and there's this part of them that feels like maybe it will be different and go back to how it was when it was good. Yeah. And just holding on to this this hope that hopefully one day it will go back to how it was and be mm-hmm. in that, you know, romantic, you know, honeymoon sweet um phase again. And that's how I was with drugs all the time, no matter how many times I went to jail, no matter how many times I lost my housing or died, you know, or overdosed, went to the psych ward. It didn't matter. I was like, it will be different this time. It it will be different this time. It will be different this time. And I really held on to that because I'm gonna be honest with you, if If um, drugs were still working for me, I would not be on this call with you, girl. I would be out there having a good old time yes. on ecstasy right now um, at some rave, just like having a great time. But it stops working. Yes. It stops working. And the price that you have that I have to pay, I had to pay was so much higher than the reward. And I kept, I kept my willingness to pay that high price for a little reward until it became like this. The the cost was so high. The reward was so low. And that's when desperation kicks in and you're like, I'm at rock bottom. I'll do anything to change because the energy is way too much. 
the thing is you can learn how to get to that high without the drugs or without the alcohol. People think that, oh, I will not get that high without them. Yes, you will. Believe me, I have get high just meditating. (laughs) (laughs) No drugs, no nothing. But it's something that you have to experience. Like when the first time they tell you, oh, you take this sex, you're going to feel this and this and this. Yeah. And the same applies where you get a very deep going within, you can experience this and this and this. The same apply. But it's something that you have to try so you would know, or else you would never know how it feels. Yeah, you know, I, I always say, like, drugs, I'm going to take the good with the bad here. And I'm going to, like, go ahead and just say a few things that drugs have done for me that are, that are positive. And that's just my ability to see energy, to access information from different realities. Mm-hmm. That was all taught to me while I was on drugs. Like how I can sit here in my living room and remote view for someone to clear across the world and look into their entire situation or their life in any way and say, let me just check out the energy in this. Okay, I can see this in your field. I can see how this is working. This is over here. You can move that over there. All of that I learned because I use drugs. And now that I'm clear and I'm working on being more clear every day, because again, like the memory of all that trauma is now the work to clear the trauma is now the work. And the more I clear that, the more access to information I have. So, yeah. Something that I came to understand that part of our mission is, or this contract that we were talking before, yeah. it is to have our mission in the way that way we're here. We have to experience all these choices or contracts or whatever that we choose each individually to have because that's the one where we can help people to from the same things that we have already passed. For me, it will be very, very hard to to help someone with PT, well, not PTSD, no, but uh, with um, heavy drug addiction, because I'm not going to say I have never done it. Yes, but I did not become addict in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think even I use the traditional way to get out of my alcoholism so I do not, and I was very, I'm very cruel with myself when I need to heal, that I can help uh, someone that is in alcohol because I don't want to do the experience what I did. I go into the uh, horrible transitions that I can advise someone to do the same thing as I did. Even my allergies, when I became allergic to tomato, I ate a bunch of tomatoes and I heal myself. You know, but I can't tell someone, hey, you, you can die. <laughs> You're allergic to tomatoes and you are going to eat it until you get healed or die. That's the that's the kind of way I do it. So, But in a way that, like, um, I can help someone that is in the battle woman syndrome. Why? Yeah. Because I have experienced that. I can help people uh, how to heal a disease because I was very sick and I, like with lupus, RA, fibromyalgia, and I heal myself. Mm-hmm. I can help people because that was my experience and my contract that I have in this timeline that I can help that. And I really, really think to you that you have passed through what you have passed and you have experience and you have overcome that. So you're doing the kind of job that you're doing. And it's so needed, so needed because there are many people that actually need people that are working on that because many people need that help. And I really appreciate that. And they say it from my heart. 
I wish mm-hmm. there were more people like you, because there are many, many people that need that kind of help, and not all of us we can help them. You know what's the most beautiful thing about all of this is that the the little babies that are being born on our planet now, these little angel babies, they don't have the contracts, the suffering contracts like you and I do, or other people do, and that means that these little babies aren't carrying contracts around addiction when they come in. And so it's just the people on the earth now, not the new babies coming in, but just us who inhabit the earth now that need to heal addiction. Yeah. And so in a hundred years, it probably won't be on the planet anymore. And that's really cool. So we don't have to, really do preventative stuff the way that we had to back in the eighties or the nineties for these little kids, because they're just simply not going to need that level of suffering to grow and to evolve. That is true. And so what's really beautiful is the fact that myself and other people who are coming out of this, out of the darkness, out of these contracts, because there's always two sides to a contract. My contract wasn't just to come here and to endlessly suffer but it was to almost live two separate lives, really, which is fascinating. A life completely in devastation and darkness and chaos. And then to overturn that and to share the codes that I learned and access through healing to with the world. I just got total chills, like blowing up and down my arms and my legs. Spirits like bing, right on, you know, like you remember why you're here. And as I do that, and as other people awaken and do that work, we create a template for other people to follow. It's just an energetic template. They don't even have to take the choices, but just to make those choices available to people is really the the juice of my work. The biggest need that I found, I'm a front lines worker. I work front lines with the homeless population and I love it, but I'm doing that for the experience, what I feel like I really want to bring to the planet is a bridge from AA consciousness to releasing the identity of the addict, to really clear from yourselves the trauma, the belief systems from your conscious, your subconscious mind, clear the ridges from your field, and to really come into the wholeness of your being. And if you're brave enough to go through addiction on a soul level, you're brave enough to get sober. Trust me. Yes. <laughs> that is beautiful. Mm. So you're teaching classes or you work only one-on-one or how do you work with people in, in private? Because one thing is your job, but when in your private uh, practice. Yeah. So in my job, I do, I do um, group groups with the people in my community here in Salt Lake City, Utah. But for my private practice, I work with people one-on-one. I would like to eventually do group containers. I love working with men. I don't know why it comes so easily. And I feel like men really need to be seen. And because I can see people, I just, it really works well, like to teach them to be vulnerable and to really like open that up in them is magical for me and comes really naturally. 
I would love to get working in the prison system and in the jail system, bringing my own flavor of addiction recovery into those spaces. I love going into detox centers and, and homeless shelters and kind of dense spaces and just shine light and bring magic. That's one of my favorite things to do. Oh my God. I just have a question before we ended. Um, I know in the, in the jail system, they don't have too many recovery in there. They get out, they go in with addiction and they come mm -hmm. out with addiction. They, they don't recover. Do you think that, that that part of the system should be changed or how, how we can change it so we can help more people? Well, I think a lot of people go into prison and they do change, which is really cool. I, I know a lot of people who go into prison and change, but I know a lot of people who don't. Yeah. And I think part of the problem there, there's a lot of energetic issues in prisons and jails because people go into jail and detox and there's all of this energy that gets trapped in that concrete area that isn't energetically cleaned up. So that's one issue. Another issue is that people go through prison or jail and then like myself, they're just kind of brought back out onto the streets without any resources or bridges on how to really better themselves, you know? So how to live a different life. So there's definitely a need there that I have seen some nonprofits here in Salt Lake really address that need. Um, I, I, my intention is to start my own nonprofit around addiction recovery and around, uh, I'm still like trying to really fine tune what it is that I want to do. But again, I love working with people coming in and out of or in or out of prison um, or, or jail, working with people on actually clearing the trauma. So we'll see what I end up doing in the next couple of years. It will be interesting. Hey, whatever I can help you, I am more than happy. Yes. Don't know how to get a hold of me. And I will be more than happy to help. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to, to talk with you. And if someone else in the public that is going to be listening to uh, this podcast they wanted to help uh, in these areas, what are they What are they should do? Or First of all, to contact you, there are going to be the links in here. Yeah. But uh, can they contact you or do you have thinking yeah. ideas how you can help more? We might have to have a big community. Wow. I yeah. don't know. I can see it coming. And like there's a big community wanted to help. That's what oh. I see right now. I'm like feeling the energy running up and down my arms and legs. So that's usually my tell that you're onto something or that I'm onto something or that there's truth in the field. And I would love, would love to explore more on people who would like to help and ideas that people have around this. If you want to just message me, I would be happy to respond and to see how, where that goes. Um, the link that I'll be sharing is just a simple link. You can schedule a, you know, a tarot card reading with me if you're feeling like you'd like a one-on-one -on -one session. Also in that link will be, it's like a free um, call to explore if my three-month mentorship program would be a good fit for you. You know, if that's something that you If that's a commitment that you would like to make for yourself, we can explore that as well. So, yeah. Yes, that is important. I have to make a commitment. It is a commitment. Yeah, it's not, it's not for everybody and that's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have something else that you would like to add? Do I have 
anything else? Does anything else want to be shared? I just want to honor you for your courage and for the beautiful, gentle space that you hold. And you have like this really maternal, gentle energy that is so beautiful and healing for people. And you can say so much without saying anything. And I think that that's a beautiful medicine. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. You're welcome. <laughs> For all our listeners, if this helped you or you might help someone else, please share it. Please mm. share this video. And uh, it might save the life of someone. And we will appreciate it. Oh, so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it was really my pleasure to connect with you. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramireswarriorlove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.